Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you. And uh, the Christmas holidays is coming on now. And uh, I want to take this opportunity. Many of you will start to disappear over the next few weeks. And some are already disappeared. <laughs> but I just want to take this opportunity to wish you, everybody a very happy holiday. And I know for, for some of you, you have not been home in Asia or, or wherever you come from for the last three years or more uh, because of COVID. But now the borders are open. So I want to... Uh, just bless all of you as you go. And wherever you go, may the Lord use you to be a mouthpiece for Him. Wherever you go, as you meet up with your family, may you not just connect with them um, physically, but you also will share with them the wonderful news of Christmas. Amen. And wherever you are, the Lord bless you. And special welcome to those of you who are watching us uh, online. I want to especially say a greeting to our online campus. You know now that we have an online campus. And on the online campus now, we actually have online cell groups. So that's the thing that gets me most excited, you know, to know that there are people who are actually now on, in online cell groups where they can be uh, discipled uh, properly. And we are so glad that um, our, our online campus have now uh, resulted in several uh, online cell group, so that's amazing. I also want to send a special greeting to the city campus, and of course, uh, also say uh, welcome to those who are watching us from NCLC. Wonderful. Uh, can I encourage you this Friday? We're going to have a wonderful time just wait upon the Lord in the, in the revival night. Now, every time we come together to pray it's, and, and to have revival nights, it's not just about us coming together. We have a great time of worship and then we enjoy ourselves. You know, every time we come together for moments like this when we come and seek the Lord, first and foremost, we are actually saying to God and we're actually saying to one another, we are dependent on Him. That apart from Him, we can do nothing. Isn't that right? That's why we have revival nights. It's not just so we have a good time. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's about us coming together to acknowledge that without God, we can do nothing. That's why we come. And that's why we seek His face. And so I wanna encourage all of us uh, just to come as we close off the year, we wanna do it in the presence of God, in acknowledgement that without Him, we won't be able to do anything. So we are dependent on Him. Right, so encourage you to do that. And the Christmas service coming up, I really need all of you to actually register. I know that some of you plan to come and your thought would be, don't worry, I just rock up. Uh, you would do us a, lot, a big favor if you actually register so that we know uh, how many people are expected. Uh, that would really help us in our administration, okay? So just encourage you to do that. Well, last week, we started off the Advent series by looking at Jesus, who, is, who came as our Messiah. And today, we're going to be looking at Him who is coming as our, or who came as our King, and is still soon coming again as our King. Okay, so that's the focus for today, Jesus Christ, the King. So can I invite you now to go with me to Matthew chapter 2. All right, go with me to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read for you. The, the entire chapter, it's a powerful, powerful um, description of Christ who is coming as our King. So follow me as I read this for you. Are you okay so far? Yes. All right, are you guys excited to hear the word? All right, I hope you are. Let's go now. Matthew chapter two from verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's the reason why they came. They wanted to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the, for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me and so that I too may go and worship him. Now that obviously is not the intent of his heart. But after they have heard the king, they went on their way and the star they have seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they are gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, and when he, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So when he heard that Achilles was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the, to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth and so was fulfilled again. It's all these fulfillment of scriptures and, and was said to the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. There's so much details in there that I think really should, should point us to something really beautiful. So I want to invite you now to pray with me before I share with you the word. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you really open our eyes to see the truth in your word, to see some of the things that we have never seen before. God, there's so many things that in our mind we think we know, but God, thank you for your word that is so deep, your word that is so rich that every time we can see something new in it. So we invite you to come and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Matthew chapter two, I believe, is one of the most romanticized portion of the Christmas story. 
It actually tells us the story of the Magi from the East who came bearing gifts for the Christ child. Now, we are all very familiar with that because it's all part of the, of the Christmas story. Now, in our mind, with how many, how many uh, is, is in this group of Magi? How many? How many of them? Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of times we think that there are three of them. But actually, the Bible never mentioned any number. We really don't know how many of them. We also sing about them as kings, right? Because of the carols that we sing. We three kings of Orient come. And so that's where we get the impression they are three and they are kings. But again, the gospel writers never said that they were kings. In fact, as time went on and traditions built, this, they were taught to be different nationalities even. And names were actually attributed to them. But again, the Bible never said anything beyond the fact that they were magi from the east. And they were following the star in their search for the one who has been born king of the Jews. In fact, do you know that these magi were not even part of the nativity scene, which we always see, right? In the nativity scene, we got the magi kneeling with the gifts and all of that. They were not even part of the nativity scene. Why? Because they were not even there at the stable at the birth of Christ. By the time they actually found Jesus, it would have been months, if not almost a year, after the birth of Christ. By that time, Jesus was no longer in the stable. It's probably in a house somewhere in Bethlehem. And Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 is accurate and correct. See, the Bible is more accurate than what we think. You know, in Matthew chapter 2, actually, in verse 11 says this, on coming to the house, it's not a stable, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. In fact, do you know that the Christmas story is not all warm and fuzzy. We got this impression that Christmas is all warm and fuzzy with all things nice and beautiful. So we sing songs like, Silent Night, Holy Night. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the light. Beautiful, right? We sing songs away in the manger and all of that. We tend to leave out the part, the dark parts, like Herod killing all the little boys in Bethlehem. We leave out the part about the weeping and the mourning of the mothers who lost their boys and lost their sons. So this morning, what I'd like to do is to bring our attention to what the Bible says. What does the scripture actually say? And bring our attention to three key players in the Christmas story in relation to Jesus who was born King of the Jews. And they are basically the Magi and the star. That's one. Number two, we're going to look at Herod and the priest. And number three, we look at G Joseph and the angels. So let's look at them one at a time. Let's begin with the Magi. Interesting group of people. Magi and the star. The Magi only appeared briefly in the Christmas story. Now, one must definitely ask, who are they and where did they come from? Actually, scripturally, I believe that the Magi can be traced back in scriptures to Babylon. They were those who studied the stars and actually give names to constellations. They look, at, uh, they look for patterns in the sky and then they relate them to the earth. Now, in the original form, I believe the Magis were more like scientists who tried to make sense of what they observed in nature 
uh, they, are, they are not magicians, you know, who try and conjure up their own religious theories. So can I put it this way? I think they are more astronomers rather than astrologers. Are you with me? They were more observing what happened in nature. They were scientific rather than religious, right? Their, their beliefs were not so much that the stars determines the affairs of the earth, but rather the affairs of the earth affects the stars. Why? Because God is in control of them both. God is in control of the stars. God is in control of the affairs of the earth. And that is why as Christians, listen to me, don't, don't miss this. As Christians, we do not believe in reading the horoscope or to engage in this fortune telling. Why? Because my time is in God's hand, not the stars. It's like Caesar told Brutus, you know, the problem is not in the stars. <laughs> the problem is in us. See, it's not about the stars. And I, I believe that it was in Babylon that these magi were first called wise men. That's why we say it's wise men from the east. Okay, why? Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had planned. So the king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, actually had a whole bunch of people that he kind of looked to for advice. Okay, and amongst them, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, you will find Daniel. Listen to this one. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Who are they? So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So it is clear from Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were part of this wise men group. Or if you like, one of the cast of the Magi. In fact, um, Daniel became a very influential Magi. Okay, so much so that the, the reason is because the sovereign God actually reveals to Daniel things that help him to interpret the dreams. So because of that, he gained in influence, okay? And in fact, the, the Magi, I believe, the, those Magi that appeared at, during the birth of Christ was most likely members of the sect of Magi that followed the teaching and the prophetic insight of Daniel. How many of you know Daniel was a prophet? Right, he was a prophet. He had insight into what God was going to do. And that's why Daniel was the guy who came up with the, the, the scientific study of the stars plus the understanding of the prophetic scriptures point this Magi to, 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 to Bethlehem. It actually points them to the birth of a king that is coming. And all this is based, I believe, on the 70 weeks of years prophecy that prophet Daniel gave in Daniel chapter 9. Remember that? That... Daniel gave a prophecy about, what is, about the end. And he gave this prophecy about the 70 years of, of weeks, 490 years, etc. If you want to get a deeper understanding, we don't have the time to go through all that. But if you want a deeper a study of this, you can actually go to our FCC YouTube channel. Uh, I did this study some time ago in a YouTube uh, teaching entitled, Is This the End? You can actually go there, pick up that YouTube, and you can watch it. And you explain this 70 weeks of years thing 
And in these 70 weeks of years prophecy given by Daniel, there was a timeline about when the Messiah will come, when the King will come. And they followed this timeline. And this group of Magi, in understanding the prophetic scriptures that are given by Daniel, they traveled all the way from the east so that they can seek out the one who was born King of the Jews. Are you with me so far? Yeah, and that's the reason why they came at that time. It's because they know, according to Daniel's prophecy, the time has come. And the Magi is really a picture of those who are honest seekers after God. And their observation of creation and their response to this creator God actually pointed them to the truth. That's why you find in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it begins like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they know the time has come. So they, they know that they've got to start in Jerusalem. And so they went there and they asked, where is this King of the Jews? Now, interestingly, it was the chief priests and the teachers of the law in Herod's court that actually told them that the king of the Jews will come from Bethlehem. Based on what? Again, based on prophetic scriptures. Declared in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Listen to this. When he, when he referring to Herod, has come together, has called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah that was meant to be born? And then they replied, in Bethlehem in Judea. Why? Because this is what the prophet has written. But what's interesting for me is that this, the Magi immediately set out for Bethlehem. And there they found what they were looking for, the saviour of the world, the king of the Jews. And when this Magi went to Bethlehem, according to the prophetic scriptures, they went there, they found that's where the star, the house, they went in, they found the King of the Jews. They found Jesus. And I tell you this, the Magi not only came, but they saw Jesus. Not only saw, they worshipped Him. And when they came to worship, they didn't come empty-handed. They actually came bearing precious gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And do you know, my friends, all these gifts, I think, are carefully chosen. Why? Because gold is a common gift for ro royalty. If you come and see a king, you bring him gold. And the, the wise men here understood that they were greeting the king of the Jews. They were waiting for him. And they, finally, the time has come. And so they came to worship. They brought him gold. They brought him frankincense. Frankincense is actually an incense used for worship. What do they use frankincense for? It's for worship. And the Magi actually have that understanding. They have that insight. They're not just here to, to, to worship, not just the king of the Jews, but they're actually here to worship the king of kings himself, almighty God himself. So they're just coming, not just to pay homage to a king. They're actually coming to God and they, to worship him. So they brought him gold and they brought him frankincense. And then, interestingly, they also brought myrrh. What is myrrh? Myrrh is actually a bitter herb that is used in death and barrier. Can you imagine bringing that 
to see your king. But yet, it is because of prophetic understanding. It's because to, in Daniel's prophecy, it also said that the anointed one, referring to Jesus, will be cut off. The Messiah will be cut off. In other words, put to death as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And, the, and these magi, they, they had that prophetic understanding because of Daniel's prophecy. So when they came to visit the king, they actually brought myrrh, which is for death and barrier because they recognized him, not just as king, not just as God, they also recognize him as a sacrifice for the world. Are you with me? Yes. How beautiful is that? That's the beauty of the scriptures. But, you know, to me, it's, it's interesting that the chief priests and the teachers in Herod's court, they were the ones that knew. They told the Magi where to go, but they themselves didn't go. Hello? They, they knew, they told the Magi where to go, but they themselves didn't. They know the Word of God, but the Magi were after the God of the Word. That's a profound difference between the two. It's not just about knowing who God is, it's are you longing to worship Him? It's not just knowing He's King, but are you going to pay homage to Him? Are you actually going to surrender yourself to Him? That's the key. It's not just knowing, by surrendering. You with me? Yes. I think all of us know in our head that God is our King. We all know that. We all know Jesus is King. But how many of us actually live like as if He is King? I don't want to be just the priest and the and the rabbi. I want to be like the Magi with a heart that is just longing to worship my King. That's what it's all about. And that brings me to the second group of people. Herod, oh, interesting guy. Herod and the priest. When the Magi started searching for the coming of the King, they of course logically started in Jerusalem. So they went to Jerusalem, they started asking around, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. The moment King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed. He quickly called for his priests and rabbis and asked them, where is this Messiah that is supposed to be born? And the priest, the rabbi, immediately recorded the prophetic scripture that was recorded in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be king, ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Wow, this was written years before by Micah, and it's coming to pass. And the moment Herod knew this, he called for the Magi. He sent for them and, in, and then he set them off on a search and he said to them, he basically just let them know, this is where you should go. Go to Bethlehem and you'll find him. And then in verse 8 of Matthew 2, it says this, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But how many of you know his words did not match with his intention? The intent of his heart was never to worship the one born to be the king of the Jews because he was king of the Jews at that time. What he wanted to do was to kill Jesus. 
And he would go all the way to see this happen. This was Herod the Great, who has a heart that is dark. He's got a dark heart. One historian actually described him as this, a fine beast. <laughs> what a contradiction of terms. A fine beast. Who is he? Where did he come from? He was half Jew, half Edomite. He was uh, actually a very efficient governor that is put into power by the Romans to rule in Judea. He was a good politician. Now, to be fair to him, I tell you both the good and the bad. He was a good politician who kept the region of Judea at peace for many years. He was a great builder. He built many things, many beautiful buildings, including the temple of God in Jerusalem. He was generous, to be fair. He took care of the poor. He was good at that. But at the same time, he's not very popular amongst the Jews. Why? Because he was chosen by the Romans to actually rule over the Jews. So the Jews never picked him. The Romans appointed him. So they didn't like him. Why? Because he was mixed blood. Half Jew, half Edomite. And because of that, he was idolatrous. He has mixed religions. He's not Jewish, you know. So he, had, he brought in all kinds of other, other gods for the people to worship. And because of that, the Jews don't like him. And because Herod knows this, he's ruling in the, in the Jewish region, and he knows the Jewish people don't really like him. And because of that, he became very insecure. And you can understand that, right? He became very insecure in his leadership. And the older he got, the more insecure he became. Don't know why. He just became more and more insecure. The longer he reigned, the darker he became. And in the end, do you know what? According to history, Herod actually killed his own wife, Mariami, killed his, her two sons, killed her brother, killed her grandfather, and killed her mother. He was a murderous guy. And I think he reached the peak of his wickedness when he gave the order to kill all the male infants under two years old. Why? To protect his own throne. He was afraid of this one who is born to be king of the Jews that would take over him. He didn't want that. And that's why you find in Matthew 2, verse 16, when Herod realized that he, has, he was outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity two years and under in accordance with the time he has learned from the Magi. How many of you know when envy and insecurity begin to grip a man's heart? it can turn him or her into a monster. Really. Envy is a scary thing. When you have envy in your heart, your jealousy in your heart, when you have insecurity inside, it can turn us ugly. I like this story that was told, you know, this guy, he had, we were so envious of his neighbor because the neighbor was doing so much better than him. And one day, this guy had an angelic visitation, okay? And the angel actually gave, told him this. He said, I'm going to give you a wish. Anything you want, it'll be granted to you. The only catch is this. Whatever you wish for for yourself, your neighbor will get twice as much. <laughs> and this guy, he didn't know what to do. But without hesitation, he turned to the angel and he said this. Then I wish to be blind in one eye. so that his neighbor can be blind both. <laughs> what logic is that? What logic is that? But here's my point. That's how crazy 
envy, jealousy, insecurity can really mess with us. And it mess with our head, you know, and we do strange things when we are driven by such toxic emotion. And when Jesus, then, and it's, it's not logical, because when Jesus was born, by the time Christ was born, Herod would have been in his 70s. And by the time Jesus grows up, he won't even be around. Why is he so insecure? It's because he was driven by toxic emotions, yet he felt threatened. He went through all lengths to get rid of Jesus, even to the extent of killing thousands of babies. That horrible act of murder has gone down in history as the massacre of the innocent. Everything that has happened was so sad, it reminded Matthew or Jeremiah 31, verse 15, when he said this, Matthew 2, verse 17 and 18, then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping, great moaning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. All this because of one man's refusal to let Jesus be king. Why? Because he wanted to be his own king. He wanted to be his own king. How contrasting. Huh? We see one group in the Christmas story who are actively seeking after the king of the Jews to worship him, the Magi. And then you see a man like Herod who's going all out to reject his kingship, King Herod. And then we come to this last guy, Joseph. Joseph, what a beautiful man. Joseph and the angel. Joseph was that silent believer who quietly submits and obeys. I tell you, if Mary had to carry the Christ child, I think Joseph had to carry them both. I admire this guy, Joseph, because what he did was amazing. He had to bear the shame of being married to a woman that everybody may think has played him out, isn't it? To, be, to have a child before they're married. And then he married her. He had to raise a child that is not his own. But this man, I really respect him. He was a man that was guided by the dreams that God gave him. That guy was a, Joseph was a dreamer, just like his predecessor. <laughs> he dreamed a lot and the dreams guided him. God spoke to him. How, how did he end up doing all these things? It's because he has a heart that is so yielded to God. He really sees God as king, you know. Whatever the king says, the king gets. He, God spoke to him in a dream, Matthew 1, verse 20, 21. After he had considered this, you know, he thought about a, a potential wife that is, that is not pregnant. And then the angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. And based on that dream, based on what the king wanted, he married her, took her home, did it. He again was guided, God again guided Joseph in another dream. Matthew 2, verse 13, right? When he had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take your child, go to Egypt. Stay there until Herod, because Herod is going to kill him. And that's how he ended up in Egypt. And unknowingly, without even realizing it, he actually fulfilled another prophetic word in Hosea 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt, 
I call my son. And when Herod died, God again spoke to Joseph through another dream. This time, took him out of Egypt, bring him back to Israel. Verse 19, verse 20. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and then said, get up, take your child and his mom, go back to Israel. For those who are trying to take your child's life are gone. By then, the son of Herod has taken over the reign of Jerusalem. But unfortunately, the son is just as bad as the father. He was also a wicked king. And then in another dream, God actually took Joseph and his family as they go back to, to Israel, didn't go back to, to Bethlehem. Instead, took them to another village called Nazareth. See, and unknowingly, he fulfilled another prophetic scripture, which is that the Messiah shall be called a Nazarene. So he ended up, again, fulfilling another prophecy about the coming king. Now, hear me, people, watch, watch this. Can you picture this? Here is Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Egypt, and then ends up in Nazareth, and every part of it fulfilling a prophetic scripture. Isn't that amazing? It just, to me, it's like amazing. It was one dream after another that took Joseph from one place to another. And each time, it was no accident. Each time, it was a prophetic move. Each time, it was a divine appointment of God. And Joseph, Jesus actually ended up precisely where God wanted him to be. This, to me, is the sovereignty of the king at work. There is no king except our God. So sovereign that he can make things happen without even you realizing it. He's a God of providence, you know. He engineers circumstances even before you know. That's why we call him the God of providence. Pro means before. Video means to see. Providence. He sees your needs beforehand. Engineers circumstances to meet your need even before you realize you had it. Hello? That's the God we have. This is the God we serve. And with a God like that, with a king like this, why should we be insecure? Why should we be worried? Because he knows the end from the beginning. And he has that ability to engineer circumstances for you, even before you realize it. What a God we have. And, and you know what? The most amazing thing to me is that Joseph was actually fulfilling prophetic scriptures throughout his journey. And it's not because he was a great student of prophecy. He wasn't trying to figure out or position himself to bring prophecies to pass. All he was doing is this. One thing, all he was doing is the one thing that God requires all of us to do, which is this. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. The one thing that distinguishes Joseph from all the rest, was simply this, the quiet obedience that he had. Every time God spoke, he got up and did it. Every time God tells him, he just did it. The Lord says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived inside her is from the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He got up and did it. Just did it. The Lord then tell him, get up, go to Egypt. He got up and did it. Another round, get up, take your child, go to the land of Israel. Again, he got up and then he did it. Then the last time, he, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, go to Nazareth, just because the Lord tell him so. Every time he get up and did it, get up and did it. And this informs me of one thing, you know, that prophetic scriptures that you read in your Bible, they were never meant for us to try and predict the future. 
prophetic scriptures aren't meant for us to kind of get insight, you know, into what's going to happen next and therefore buy, buy stock, sell stock before you come down. That's not the point. It's not for all these things. US dollar going to go up or come down. Who cares? It's not for you to do these things. So it tells us that prophetic scriptures were not meant for us to predict the future. It was meant to tell us where we are in God's time clock. It's to tell us where we are in His prophetic calendar. So, so here's my point. Don't be too caught up with trying to use prophetic scriptures to preempt this and preempt that. You know what is the mark of the beast and where is the Antichrist and when will Armageddon happen? Is Jesus coming back tomorrow? No, 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 no. Don't be too caught up in these things. There is nothing you can do to speed up or to slow down the plan of God. He is sovereign. He is king. He already set the time and there's nothing you can do about it. He is the one who is born king of the Jews and he alone is sovereign. I want to know the prophetic scriptures not so that I know when to buy and sell. I want to know the prophetic scriptures so that I can align my life, align my life to the purposes of God. Are you with me? Yes. Don't end up with the wrong focus. There is nothing you can do to slow down, speed up the plan of God. Our focus must be to walk in submission, in obedience to this sovereign king. We hear and we obey. We get up and we do when the king commands us to do. How do I know what he has commanded me to do? He has revealed it to us in the book called the Bible. Your holy scriptures, the word of God. He already tell you what he wants. We don't have to try and figure this out. Just read the Bible and obey it. Do what it says. God will lead us into his view through the word of God. And he will lead us by the Holy Spirit to the specific view through our personal walk with him. So as you read the word and you apply the word, read the word and obey the word, you are getting closer and closer to the will of God. And then as you walk with him, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into the specific things he wants you to do, just like he did with Joseph. So here's a challenge to all of us today. He, the king, is here. And the king is coming again. Live according to the word of God. Walk according to the spirit and you'll be right. Don't have to be too complicated. And throughout, I tell you, throughout the whole Christmas story, the real mover and shaker is not the Magi, it's not King Herod, it's not even Joseph, to be honest. The real hero was Jesus, the one who was born King of the Jews. He is the one who keeps his word and actually fulfills them. He's like a master chess player. He makes moves that brings about his plans and purposes. All the Herods in the world cannot thwart the plans of God. Christianity has outlasted everyone who tries to get rid of her. Our God is sovereign. And our God will prevail. His plans and His purposes for you, for me, will come to pass. Now I know there are times when stuff happens in our life that makes no sense to us. And we're all tempted sometimes to ask, you know, why would a good God allow this or that to happen? Why would God 
like some people ask, why would God even allow Herod to kill so many babies? He could have stepped in. He could have stopped this. Can you imagine the questions that are in the minds of the mourning mothers in Israel? Why did God not, why did God allow my sons to be killed? And the answer was just silence. C.S. Lewis, you know, in his book, A Grief Observed, which is a classic book on grief that he wrote after he lost his wife, he wrote so eloquently about this silence that sometimes puzzles us. He, the way he describes this is this, a door slammed in your face, then the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and then after that, silence. Silence sometimes confuses. <laughs> Was God angry? Is he indifferent? Does God even care? And in times like this, we tend to think the worst of God and think the worst of ourselves. Is God uncaring or am I undeserving that I end up in this? But I can tell you this, silence does not mean absence. God is, God may not be speaking as yet, but He is present. And He is my sovereign King. He has His reasons and I need to trust the heart behind the silence. We make our pleas to God and then we wait patiently to hear Him speak again. There's some things I agree we will never fully understand this side of heaven. But one thing I know, our God is sovereign, our God is good and He will bring His will to pass. And in this situation, you know, God did not protect His Son from harm forever because there came the day when God actually allowed His Son to go to the cross to suffer for the sins of the world. If Jesus had died as a baby, there will never be a sacrifice for your sin and mine because no other man can do that. It is God's sovereign will that a willing sacrifice that is sinless who alone can remove the sins of this world, who alone can bring redemption to mankind. And then we discovered, you know, it is not because of the birth of Christ, it's because of the death of Christ that we can be saved today. Hallelujah. King Herod carried out his acts of evil out of the darkness of his heart, but God turned it around for his own redemptive purpose. The big question I have, I think all of us have to ask today is this, will we submit and obey our King? Will we be willing to trust Him even when we do not understand? Is He truly your sovereign reigning King? Is He truly the King of your heart? Is He? And my challenge to all of us today as we enter the Christmas season, we must receive Jesus Christ, not just as our Saviour, the Messiah who came. We talked about Him last week. But we must also receive Him as our King the one who rules and reigns over us. And if He truly is King, then we must live by His decree, live by His word, and then we must be guided by His Spirit, even when we don't understand. I challenge you today, let's enthrone Jesus as King once again. Amen. Enthrone Him as King. Stand with me, please. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we look to you. I like every 
hearts to be bowed for just a moment. Let's not rush out of the hall. Don't worry, there's no rush. But let's take a moment, just allow the Word of God to sink in. In a few moments, we're going to just worship the Lord because He is our King. But today, before we sing, I want to encourage everyone. I don't think this message is just for a few people, but I think it's for every one of us to make Him King once again. You know, I don't know about you, but there are times when I feel, even myself, there are areas in my life that I know I need to bring under subjection to my King. There are things that God may have spoken to you. He wants you to do things that He wants you to, 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 to obey. But we don't always do that. But today, this is a great opportunity for us to say, God, I enthrone you once again as King. Be my King. Like Joseph, whatever you say, I will do. I get up and I do it. Give me the heart of a Magi who really want to worship you. Worship Him because He is worthy. He is our King. We worship Him and we obey Him. Amen. If this is something you need to do, I want to invite you this morning, wherever you are, lift both hands to the Lord as a mark of surrender and let's enthrone Him. You know, wherever you are, in your own words, would you just talk to God and tell Him, I'll make you king. You rule, you reign. And for some of you here, God may be speaking specifically to you certain things that He wants you to do, certain things that he, He's putting His finger on in your life, things that you need to give up, things you need to conquer, habits you need to stop. Would you just tell the Lord, God, I make you king even over all of these desires that I have. Be king over this. Then as the worship team leads us to sing, make that song your prayer. So if you need to do that, lift both hands up to God, high up in the sky as a mark of surrender and say, God, I make you king. I want to worship you and I want you to reign and rule in my life. Thank you, Lord.